All right, everybody loves a great rescue story, right? It's just something that we can, we can just imagine, like what that was like. And so today we're going to take a look at a, a psalm that actually contains four rescue stories. It's our last uh, message in our psalm series has been going through uh, the summer in the psalms. And so I just thought, you know, since we have kind of like families and kids and students in the room, I would try to make this like as simple as possible, tell some stories that come right out of scripture that would just help us to kind of take some big ideas away with us uh, as we as we go through this. Um, it's great to have everybody here today. My name is Dean. I'm the, actually the location pastor down in our Bridgeport location. So shout out to them uh, for them uh, just kind of continuing to, to carry on down there. It's exciting to be part of a church that's one church in more than one location. And so that's my, my role in that. And it's my privilege today to just be able to share uh, what God has kind of, uh, kind of settled into my heart over the last couple of weeks and throughout the summer as I've been thinking about this. Um, and so if you would like to follow along with the message, some of you probably received a service guide. You can put some notes on that. You can download an app, a Southridge Church app, and you can follow along with that. Or you could just, if you did bring the Bible or have a way of finding Psalm 107, that's where we're going to be, Psalm 107. We've been spending our summer in the Psalms together, really just looking at, uh, at, at ways that people have communicated and uh, written uh, songs and poems that really come out of their uh, relationship with God. God. Um, it's, it's kind of a neat idea to just kind of spend some time kind of listening in to a playlist. Really, the Psalms is kind of like a playlist where you're listening to songs that people wrote that came from their real life experiences, the things that they struggled with and all of that. So you think about a Psalm, it's kind of like lyrics. It's kind of lyrics to somebody's life that they have sung. And, and we've found the thing that, that has been uh, helpful as we've gone through the summer is we've helped, we've come to find out that these words are timeless. It's like we read them, and I don't know if you've ever spent some time through the summer through the reading guide, reading the Psalms, and have come to the place where you think, oh my goodness, this, is, this sounds like me. This sounds like my life. This sounds like what's going on in my life. And so that's kind of what the Psalms are. They also tell, they also tell stories. They tell stories that communicate things about what the person was going through. And these songs tell these kind of stories in just a powerful way. Uh, psalms do that. And even songs today that we listen to tell stories about where people are. We can read them and we can connect with them because they're written um, just in a way that helps us to resonate. That's why I love about the Psalms because it's not really like that fancy. It's just like, it's just a story. It's just a song. It's just somebody crying out. And I can identify with that. And I think that many of you can probably identify that. And just like this guy, this swimmer that was rescued, his name was Kalani, just like he's got a story to tell, every person has a story to tell. Now, you might not have that kind of a fantastic story, but you certainly have a story. Hopefully, you've never found yourself in a situation like that, but you have a story to tell. Every person has a story to tell. So I think Psalms are a great way to look in and see kind of what kind of story does our life tell? What kind of story should our life tell? As we bring this, uh, the kind of this summer to a, a close, we've been taking a look at uh, Psalms. We haven't looked at all of them because there's a lot of them, but we, we've looked at kind of a, a collection as we've gone through. And Psalm 107 is right at the beginning of what's the last section of Psalms. And Psalms is really a collection that takes us on a journey through the nation of Israel's life to where they had all kinds of hopes and promises that were given to them and some instructions. And then they were asked to obey that and they obeyed it and then they disobeyed it. And then they were, uh, they were kind of uh, taken out of the opportunities that they had to rest in those hopes and those promises, but the promises were still there. And as we step into this last section of Psalms, we find ourselves in a place where they're realizing that there's hope. 
They're realizing that there is rescue. They're realizing that there is a, a, a chance that they're going to find themselves restored. And that's what we're taking a look at today in Psalm 107, because the best stories, you'll know, that, you'll know this, you'll resonate with this, the best stories are rescue stories. There's something about a rescue story when you hear about how somebody was saved or how, how somebody was um, brought back from what would have been death or danger. You realize, oh, that's like the best story to hear about how that happened. And so Psalm 107 tells four of these rescue stories. We're going to take a look at them. Something important to know, though, about rescue stories before we kind of get into this. Every, every rescue story begins before there is a problem. I don't know if you've thought about that, but every rescue story begins before there is a problem. Every rescue story begins before the rescue is needed. There's always something that happens before the thing that happens that requires a rescue. Always. For example, in this situation, the video that we watched with this swimmer named Kalani, he made this observation. He said, I thought I could swim across what appeared to be the calmer part of the river. That's what he said. Two things actually happened in this situation before the thing that happened that required him needing to be rescued. The first thing was he thought he could swim across. He thought he could swim across. Isn't it interesting that almost every time someone says, I thought I could, they usually thought wrong. Have you ever thought about that? Anytime somebody says, you know, I thought I could jump over that. I mean, I just thinking back as a kid, I thought I could jump over that. I thought I could swim across that. I thought I wasn't going that fast. I thought I was in love. You know, like usually all these things, when you say, I thought I could, or I am, or I would, it's amazing how a lot of times you just have thought wrong. The other thing that he says, though, he says, second thing that happened is he says, what appeared to be the calmer part of the river. You see, he made a decision based on faulty information, right? He looked, he said he thought he could swim. He's thinking he could swim. And he looked at what he thought was a calmer part of the river. And then he made a decision based on faulty information. And I bring this up because there's in these four rescue stories that we're about to look at, these things are very similar. All these same types of things happen. In Psalm 107, we see four examples of people who made decisions based on what they thought, and then they made decisions based on faulty information. And their decisions got them into the situation where they were going to need to be rescued. We're going to jump in right at verse four because that's kind of where the rescue stories begin and then we'll circle back around to the beginning of the psalm. In each of these situations, though, I want you to do a couple things with me. I want you to be thinking, why was there a need for rescue in this example of this person's life? Why is there a need for rescue? That's what I want you to think about for, for now as we look at these. And then how could you relate to one of these examples? So what was the need for rescue? And can you relate to any one of these examples? When we consider the need for rescue, the first thing that we consider is the lost, somebody who's lost. And it picks up in verse four, it says, some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty, they nearly died. All right, so you have the lost. They have a need for rescue. Someone who is lost, though, doesn't start out that way, right? No one ever starts out lost. At least I don't think they do. They, they, they get to the place of lostness by thinking they know where they're going based on faulty information. Now, not to reveal too much about you, you but some of you have probably been lost in your life. And there was this, there was this whole, like, thing that happened, a whole generation that existed before GPS, at least the GPS that everybody carries around with them in their pocket. Um, and there was this thing where, you know, you actually would have to kind of get a map. You kind of had to sense where you were going. You might even have to write down some directions, like turn at that tree, turn at that house, turn at that store, and then you were there. Um, but some of you, 
maybe have found yourself in a situation where you would find yourself lost before there was a GPS and you'd have somebody that would be sitting next to you that would say something like, maybe you should stop and ask for directions. And you completely ignored them and you kept going the way you thought you should go and you found yourself maybe even more lost. And then, then there's after GPS. You think, oh my goodness, I'm saved. I have GPS, it never steers me wrong, but you know how it is. You'll find yourself in where you keep getting that like rerouting, 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 rerouting. And somebody next to you says, hey, maybe you should stop and ask for directions and you continue just to, to ignore that. You know, because you're, you're really, good at, at coming up with some excuses. You know, if you find yourself lost, you find yourself in a situation, um, you know, somebody might say, do you know where you're going? And, you'll, and, and some things I've said before, I'll say, I know where I am. I know where I am, right? I'm right here. And they'll be like, no, 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 no. Do you know where you're going? Well, no. I'll, and something else I say, I say, well, I'm just taking the scenic route, right? I'm just taking the scenic route. The scenic route always gets you where you want to go. I thought it was the way to go. Maybe you even thought it was the quickest way. Maybe it appeared to you to be the best way to go and so you went that way. The thing about the lost and their need to be rescued is it's because what they thought and the decisions they made didn't get them to where they actually wanted to go. They thought it was the right way. They made some decisions based on some faulty information, but it didn't get them to where they wanted to go. So maybe uh, that, that's the first example of, of someone in need of rescue. The second one in, in person in need of rescue or the example of a person that's in need of rescue is the prisoner. The prisoner. That sounds kind of like ominous. The prisoner. Let's read it. Verse 10, it says, Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them with hard labor. They fell and no one was there to help them just some things to understand maybe about this prisoner because it uses the word that they rebelled. Something about a rebel. A rebel doesn't anticipate prison. They anticipate freedom, right? When somebody rebels against something and does what they want to do, they don't anticipate prison. They anticipate, oh, I'm going to do this because then I'm going to get to do whatever I want to do. And the goal is going to be freedom, freedom to do what I want, right? So this is what this prisoner has done. They assume that the counsel of the Most High is not credible, and they ignore the warning signs that the Most High gives. They just ignore these warning signs that say that maybe, you know, you should consider some things. The Most High is saying these things. Now, I know that sometimes warning signs can be confusing, and so we should consider sometimes the source. I have a picture of a warning sign I'd like to put up on the screen for you right now that um, it says, touching wires causes instant death, $200 fine. Now that's, I, maybe it's just me, but that's a little confusing because I kind of thought that like instant death was the fine, right? Like who pays the $200 fine if you touch the wires and instantly die? It's confusing, right? Because I, I, you know, I was one of those kids that I would look at that sign and I'd be like, I don't know, like, should I touch it? And uh, people would be like, no, we warned you twice, like instant death, $200 fine. Well, can I pay the fine and not instantly die if I touch? I mean, it's just, maybe you didn't think it's confusing, but I think that's just confusing. But in this situation, in this situation, the person needs to be rescued from prison because they ignored and rejected very clear and good counsel from God. We can see that here because it's counsel of the most high, the most high, in other words, the most intelligent, the most of everything that you can imagine that would be good for you is giving you counsel. And you went away from that. And now you find yourself in prison. And so this rebel, this prisoner needs to be rescued because they thought the decisions they made uh, would get them where they wanted to go, but they didn't. They didn't get them where they wanted to go. The third example, somebody that is in need of rescue is the fool, the fool. 
Now, I know that you might not want to put your name in that blank, um, because, but, but we've all done some foolish things. And I think this example is just kind of thrown out there for like the general person that has made some foolish decisions. It says in verse 17, some were fools. They rebelled and they suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food and they were knocking on death's door. I think it's interesting, the example that's given here for the fool and how they suffer for their sins. And what I thought of when I read this was Halloween candy. And this is how I got there. You know, like when you, every, was it October, you go out and you get like an entire pillowcase full of candy. And then you bring it home and maybe you're not really sure what to do it. And I do it. And, and because there's kids in the room, I don't want to like divulge parent secrets, but maybe you kind of have a system for how you're going to like let the kids eat the candy. Um, and, and some of you, not judging anybody, some of you would say, okay, you can have like a piece a day. Or some of you might just put the whole thing out on the counter and be like, when it's gone, it's gone. But if you remember when you were a, a kid, maybe you, you brought that home and, and before it got to like the parents' eyes, you uh, kind of took some off the top to make sure you're gonna have a stash. And then late that night, I'm not saying any of you guys ever did this or should, but maybe you ate it uh, in bed, like as all this candy, right? Because it was like not, no one knew about it. It was like your stash of candy. And you eat all this candy, you eat all this candy, you just eat all this candy. And then like later on in the night, maybe like you're having trouble falling asleep now because you ate like 17 Reese's peanut butter cups in a row or whatever it is. You, you, you have this situation. You think, I don't, I'll never eat another piece of candy ever, like ever. And you're, you're, you're knocking, you, you would maybe say this, you come down the stairs and you would say, you'd like come up to your parents in bed and you like, you'd like do something, knock on the door, whatever you do. And you say, I'm dying, right? I'm dying. And I thought, well, that's kind of like a great example of this situation that sometimes people do think because they, they think it's going to bring them pleasure. It's going to be a great thing only to find themselves in a situation where they can't even stand the thought of what they indulged in to get what they thought that they wanted. I don't know if any of you have ever sat, in, sat down or, or been to like a buffet or been to a cookout or something to where you like heap your plate up with like three burgers and all kinds of food and you like think this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And then like halfway through that, you say, man, my eyes were bigger than my stomach, which basically means like, oh my goodness, I thought that that was going to be awesome, but now I can't even stand the thought of it. You see, a fool needs to be rescued because what they thought and the decisions they made didn't get them where they wanted to go. They had some self-inflicted suffering. No one forced it on them. They just participated in it. They made some decisions thinking it was going to get them pleasure like Halloween candy, but too much of it led down a wrong path. And that's, that's what this person's situation was. The next person, the fourth example, somebody that needs to be rescued is the sailor. Verse 23, it says, some went off to sea in ships. That just sounds awesome, going off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in, in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits end. It's a pretty desperate situation. But once again, the sailors didn't start out there. Right, the sailors probably looked out and thought that the weather looked good for days, right? Good for days, there's not gonna be a storm. Or maybe they were, thought their ship could handle anything. I'm prepared for anything. Or maybe you could make this connection. The sailors were just getting up and they were going to work, just like many of us do, getting up and going and doing their day job. They're going out to work. Maybe they forgot and they ignored how much they were going to need God to go to work with them and for them. 
I can imagine if you're a sailor on the sea, you would realize how much you must have God working for you and with you when how dangerous and perilous it is. But I think a lot of times, maybe we just get up and we go off to work for the day and we don't have that same thought. We don't say, I absolutely am going to need God working for me and with me in order to be able to make the best decisions and not find myself in a situation where I need to be rescued. The sailor needs to be rescued because what they thought, even if they thought the weather was good or even if the weather was bad, but they thought their ship could handle it, regardless of the situation, what they thought and the decisions they made, they didn't get them where they wanted to go. Never, no sailor ever set sail on the sea expecting shipwreck, right? They always expect safe passage. So they don't anticipate doom and destruction and death. They anticipate that they're going to be successful. So they're in need of rescue. The thing that's common about the lost the prisoner, the fool, and the sailor, is that they're all now in a situation where they need to be rescued. And they seem to have all discovered that the only hope that they have for rescue is going to have to come from a supernatural force. And there seems to be maybe just a hint here that they've tried other ways. Maybe they've exhausted other options. I don't know if any of us have ever done that to where we've kind of like exhausted all of our other options. And you come to the end and you say, I'm going to need like big help, really big help. And so what comes after you've exhausted all other options and you find yourself where you are in need of rescue comes this cry for help. And it's amazing how it's the same cry regardless of the situation. It's two words. It's Lord help. We see this by the lost in verse six. It says, Lord help. They cried in their trouble. The prisoner in verse 13, Lord help. They cried in their trouble. The fool in verse 19, Lord help. They cried in their trouble. The sailor in verse 28, Lord help. They cried in their trouble. A rescue is needed anytime. A rescue is needed anytime someone is unable to help themselves. And so this cry comes out. This need for rescue requires intervention by someone or something capable of thinking and acting in a way that will dramatically change the future of the one that's in trouble. See, this cry goes out to somebody that is going to be able to think differently and act differently to produce a different outcome than the person that finds themselves in a need for help. So how does a rescuer respond when there's a cry for help? You can think about the first responders that we can relate to today, the first responders. But in general, how does a rescuer respond when there's a cry for help? Something very important to recognize. A responder or a rescue, first responder or rescuer doesn't rescue based on whether the one needing rescuing has been thinking or acting wisely. The rescuer doesn't rescue based on whether the one needing rescued has been thinking clearly or acting wisely. You see, they could say, you could say, well, the lost should have taken a map or a better map. The prisoner should have followed the rules. The fool should have made a better decision. The sailor should have been paying attention to the weather or been better repaired, prepared. But the rescuer doesn't even bring it up. The rescuer doesn't stand by and watch the fool in its distress and say, you know, you are just a loser, right? It doesn't like, the rescuer doesn't do that. The rescuer rescues based on the need for help and responds to the cry for help. And so there's this action of the rescuer. The action of the rescuer is not to stand by and list off all the things that the person in distress should have done differently. We saw that in the video. We see these in these examples that the rescuer rescues them. He rescues them. We see this about the lost. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. It's, it's in there. You can take a look at it, but there's, there's a, a situation where he rescues each one of them. The prisoner, he leads them from darkness and deepest gloom. He snaps their chains, it says. 
And then the fool, it says, he heals them and snatches them from the door of death. He restores their situation. And then the sailor, they find that it's such a blessing to be brought safely into the harbor, to finally be back to safety because of the rescuer. And a successful rescue story. It's the best rescue. It's the best story, right? The best kind of story is a rescue story because it is often told by the one who has been rescued. And there's always gratitude. There's always gratitude of the rescued. We see that. And in this situation, in these four examples, because the rescuer is the most high God, he's the Lord who comes to the aid and comes to the rescue, the the gratitude, the thankfulness is towards God. They are thankful for God's great love and wonderful action. It says in this Psalm over and over again, let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he's done for them. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and the wonderful things he's done for them and examples of what he's done to to restore them from their situation of distress. Rescued people tell their story. Rescued people will tell their story. And this is, um, we, we can just understand this to mean that those who have been rescued by the Lord should tell that story because anyone else that's been rescued Like the rescue story, we saw an example. You might see this on the news on a nightly basis. Somebody that's been rescued always has a story to tell. They always do. They always paint the scenario of just how desperate it was. I was clinging to the rock and there was a waterfall and it was, I was going to die. And if I would have just one more minute, one more minute, I wouldn't have been here. But, but a rescuer intervened. Rescuers always tell their story. So those that have been rescued by the Lord should tell that story. And we hop back to the beginning of the psalm and we read how it begins. In verse one, it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Or you could use the word rescued there, bought out of a bad situation. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he's redeemed you from your enemies, for he's gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. It's important to us to understand there's this, ver- there's this word in here, he's redeemed them from their enemies. I think uh, we probably don't have too many really legitimate enemies as individuals, hopefully not. But sometimes our greatest enemy is ourself. Sometimes the thing that we need to be rescued from, need to be redeemed from, is us, our, our foolish decisions, our rebellious decisions. Sometimes the enemy that we need to be rescued from is thinking that we've got everything handled on the job and that we can do our work and make our lives successful on our own, and we need to be rescued from that. Sometimes we just find ourselves in a uh, difficult situation. And that difficult situation fe- feels very much like an enemy, right? You've been there, where, where that situation you're in a bully at school, a difficult coworker, a challenging financial situation, feels very much like an enemy. And you need to be redeemed from that. But what I love about how this this section, uh, what this says in verse three, it says he gathers them from all the corners of the earth, from many lands, from the east, the west, the north, and the south. I think there's something powerful here about how this most high God, this rescuer, can rescue you from anything and from anywhere. He can rescue you from anything and from anywhere. And maybe you find yourself in one of those situations. And as we looked at these four examples of those that thought they knew and made decisions based on what appeared to be right, we find that the rescuer challenges the assumptions. You see, in each one of these examples, somebody thought and they observed and they thought it appeared to be a right thing and they made a decision based on faulty information. But we see that the rescuer challenges that assumption. 
The the rescuer just by coming and rescuing is saying that wasn't the way to go. Those weren't the right decisions. That wasn't wise thinking. You should have trusted me is all throughout that. There's a section at the end of at the end of this psalm that talks about how the rescuer thinks differently. I just want to read it for you. It says this about the rescuer. He sees things, uh, I'm sorry, it says this. He changes rivers into deserts and springs of water into dry, thirsty land. He turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. But he also turns deserts into pools of water and dry land into springs of water. He brings the hungry to settle there and build their cities. They sow their fields, plant their vineyards and harvest their bumper crops. How he blesses them. They raise large families there and their herds of livestock increase. When they decrease in number and become impoverished through oppression, trouble and sorrow, the Lord pours contempt on their princes, causes them to wander in trackless wastelands. But he rescues the poor from trouble and increases their families like flocks of sheep. You see, the rescuer just thinks about things differently and does things differently. He sees things they can't see. He knows things they don't know. He does things that they might not understand. He challenges things that they would think could never change. He comes to the aid of those who absolutely can't do anything about their situation. And he resists those who appear to have it all together and changes the outcome. It's interesting that that the next verse there towards the end of the Psalm says this, the godly will see these things and be glad while the wicked are struck silent. And I just want you to to think about that for a second. If you read about how God does things differently, how he sees things differently, how he acts, he challenges our assumptions uh, and the things that he's able to do are just kind of blow our mind. If you are a godly person, that doesn't mean that you are extra good. That just means that you extra realize how much God is able to do and that you rejoice in that, right? You realize that you can trust him. You realize that he can do something that you could never do. You realize that he can be the rescuer. And so the godly see that. The godly see that and realize in my desperate situation in need of help, I can cry out to this one that just sees things differently and understands things that I don't understand. And I can completely trust him. If God could do these things, if he could do these things listed in these verses, if he could change rivers into deserts, if he could do all of those things listed there, then he could certainly change my situation. But the wicked are struck silent. The difference between the godly and the wicked is that the godly know they need to be rescued and they cry out for help. But the wicked, they know they are know they're in trouble. They know they're in trouble, but they refuse to acknowledge that God uh, could could help them. And therefore, they have no one to call out to. Because if you find yourself in one of these situations where it's only going to you're only going to get help from a supernatural source and you don't believe in that supernatural source or the ability of that supernatural source, you have no one to call on to for help. And so maybe you are simply silent because you refuse to acknowledge that the very thing that can help you, you don't believe in and you refuse to cry out. The rescuer therefore just shouldn't be ever ignored. You shouldn't ignore the most high God who is our rescuer. The last verse of the Psalm says, those who are wise will take all of this to heart. They will see our history and the faithful love of the Lord. See, everyone has a story. Every single person has a story. The rescues and rescue stories are the best stories. And every single person that hears this, every single person that reads this psalm and should be thinking about their story. Like, what is their story? And does your story include a rescue story? Now, I want to ask everybody a, a question. If you were going to just guess, if you were just going to take a guess, 
Um, what do you think the most popular verse in the Bible is? If you were just like, maybe you haven't been to church before, or maybe you haven't read your Bible before, but maybe if you just thought about it and you've thought maybe what, is there, what Bible verse is really popular, what would, what would come to mind? On the count of three, I just want you to say it. Kids, you might have to whisper this to your parents, but the most popular verse in all the Bible, if you just had a hunch and took a stab at it, just say it at the count of three. One, two, three. John three. Yeah, okay, I heard mostly John 3.16. Maybe a Zephaniah, but definitely John 3.16. John 3.16, right, right, right. And you guys could probably quote most of it, right? But the thing that's so amazing, and that's a rescue story. That should be part of every single one of our stories. But the thing that's amazing is it's the verse that comes after that that really challenges our assumptions about the rescuer and should help us understand how important it is to have a rescuer. John 3.17, the verse right after John 3.16 says this, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This tells the story all in one little verse. It says, you know, God does what a rescuer would do. He doesn't come down and say, you should have done that differently. You're totally messed up. There's no hope for you. You're a loser. Like, no, it doesn't come into the world with that in mind. He comes to this world in my, with, the, with the mind to rescue those that cry out for help, realizing that they need a savior. And so a couple things for you to think about just as we kind of wrap all this together. Does your story include God rescuing you? Regardless of you know, what brought you here today, regardless of what situation you find yourself in, you have a story and rescue stories are the best stories and so it'd be really important since every single person needs to be rescued. That's what we just read. It'd be really important for your story to include a rescue by God. So I just want you to think about that. And I also want you to think about, you know, what is your story? You do have a story to tell. And next week, we're going to kick off a series where we're going to talk about the story of you, about how um, your life and the way that you've been created by God and the, the, the place that you find yourself in right now is intentional and you have a story to tell. And we're gonna be spending some weeks just talking about how important your story is, but your story will be most, uh, most exciting and most relevant and most hope-filled if it contains this part of being rescued by God. So I would just encourage every single one of you to consider, you know, what is your story? Does your story um, tell the story of God rescuing you? It's something to think about. Don't be like one of any of these other examples who would have found themselves in a situation and didn't cry out for help. When you find yourself in a situation to where you realize you have made some decisions, you have thought some things, you have gone some, some directions in your life that has not led you where you thought it would take you where you wanted to go, that in those moments and in that moment, you can cry out to God and say, God, I need you to rescue me. I believe that Jesus is the way the truth and the life. And no one is going to get to the Father except through that. And so I trust in that. If you do that, you have a rescue story and it's all about Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for uh, today. I just thank you for um, just the, how rescue stories are exciting, but they should all point us to the ultimate rescue story. The ultimate rescue story that is um, just Jesus coming to this earth. You coming in the form of a man to this earth who lived among us and died on our behalf. And while you were here, you didn't uh, judge everybody for all of the foolish mistakes they were making. You came with one thing in mind. You wanted to provide a rescue, a way out. And I just thank you for the hope that we have 
because of the most high God who provides a way for us to rescue, be rescued from our situation. And we look forward in hope to the day that you will uh, come back and restore everything and make everything right and re remove the need for us to be rescued from our bad decisions uh, forever and ever. Help us to realize the important part that you wanna play in our stories as they're being written and as they're being told. In Jesus' name, amen.